Good afternoon and welcome to a Euroactive debate supported by Teachers for Europe. I'm Mariam Zaidi and I will be moderating today's debate on fostering democracy in the EU and the role of education. A big thank you, of course, to everyone who is joining us online. And a reminder, if you have a question or a comment, don't forget to send it into our chat page, along with the name of the panelist. It's directed at, and we're going to pick out some of your questions for later on in the programme. So get involved starting now. Now, since the 1990s, and especially over the last two decades, there's been an exponential rise in populism and Euroscepticism across the bloc. A very recent example, France's presidential and their parliamentary elections, which have led to big gains for both the hard right and left. But the paradox is that just as Euroscepticism continues its trajectory, so too does support for the European project. In the pandemic and on Ukraine, the EU has played a more assertive role, something I'm sure we've all noticed, and something that has resonated with the public, according to European Barometer polls. Now, an EU-funded project wants education to be the vehicle for creating a better democratic learning environment that inspires a European identity. Now, as we know, education is more than just information. It gives us the tools to help us see the world, to form fact and opinion. It helps shape our ideals and the life that we want to live. But is this idea, this proposal, a lofty ambition? Is it really what the bloc needs? And most importantly, do the public even want it? Well, let's ask the experts. Okay, well, before we do hear from our panellists, let's go straight to Teachers for Europe and find out more about what they're advocating for. Joining us now is Dr. Fateni Azdaraki. She's Associate Professor and Jean Monnet Chair on EU Politics in Training, uh, Education, Research and Innovation at the University of Paris in Greece. Dr. Fateni is also the Academic Coordinator of the programme Teachers for Europe. Please do take the floor. Thank you very much and thank you very much for your nice introduction. Uh, what we tried to make with this project, which is an Erasmus KA3 project, which means it will probably lead to policy reforms. It's up to the European Parliament, of course, and the Council. Uh, it, uh, we tried to discuss with teachers and students and uh, put at the epicenter the Europe of values, the Europe of democracy through a citizen's agora. So we upscaled a good practice that was introduced in Greece during the difficult uh, times of crisis in 2011 by the European Commission in Greece, uh, the Teachers for Europe project, and we upscale it um, uh, by introducing in uh, five different countries, in Malta, in Cyprus, in Romania, in Germany, and Greece, of course, and by creating networks of teachers and uh, by creating an international network led by Learn to Change. So we are nine partners in this uh, venture, in this project. Uh, what we try to do is um, to upscale the knowledge uh, of teachers um, on EU issues by providing them with new training opportunities. So we organize several training activities in Greece, Germany, Romania, Cyprus and Malta a winter school in Cyprus, a summer school in Malta. We um, organize some, we offer them webinars and uh, we tried to teach them how to um, develop simulation exercises. So they simulated the European Parliament and in general the decision-making procedure uh, of the European Union. 
Uh, we also um, organized the Teachers for Europe Academy, as we call it, and we offered uh, a massive online course uh, under several titles, the European Union and its institutions, uh, EU democracy and citizenship, uh, global citizenship education, and EU and uh, digital competencies. We developed material. Um, we put a lot of effort, actually, in order to develop new and innovative material in order to approach this very difficult issue of how to teach European values um, in the youngsters. Uh, we also um, organized many conferences and uh, we issued publications like policy briefs and conference proceedings. And uh, right now we're collecting the good practices that the teachers are implementing in their school. We are talking about 1,300 teachers in these five countries and they have implemented relevant projects within their school. Um, last but not least is our message to Europe. We are collecting messages from the youngsters uh, towards mainly to the parliament because uh, the MEPs are uh, those people that uh, are more open to hear uh, the message, uh, messages that the youngsters um, are keen to send to them uh, about uh, Europe and um, at the end of the day, we're uh, we trying to follow a bottom-up approach in order to develop active and democratic uh, citizens for the future of Europe because, yes, we can do it through education. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Astoraki from Teachers for Europe. Okay, uh, well, you heard about their initiative then, and just to go over uh, what we heard from Dr. Astoraki, she was talking about training of teachers, the courses um, that they could go on, webinars, simulation exercises of the executive and of the European Parliament's decision making, and providing teachers with new material. Okay, well, let's see what our panelists do think of that then. Well, joining me for this debate are Romanian so Socialist MEP Victor Negrescu, he's co-chair of the Cult Committee at the European Parliament. We also have Stefan Zotti, he's team leader of strategy and investments at um, the European Commission's uh, DG EAC, uh, which stands for Education, Youth, Sport and Culture. We also have Tatiana Bab-Ruskin, she's a member of the Workers' Group, Group 2 at the European Economic and Social Committee. We also have Pascal Montpagaliad, she's CEO at Learn to Change, Change to Learn, and then we also have Jan Eckhorn, he's Senior Lecturer in Social Policy at the University of Edinburgh. Well, welcome to you all, and I doubt you were hearing closely to what Teachers uh, for Europe had to say, but to understand a little bit more about each panellist, um, we'll now give them a few minutes to introduce themselves. So I'll go in order of introduction, and if we could have um, our MEP, um, Victor Negrescu, to go first, please do take the floor. Thank you so much for the invitation and for the, this important topic that we are debating today, citizenship education, and the need, of, of course, to, to raise the visibility on this important topic, but also in the same time, convince the European Union and also member states that we need to act together in this direction and improve how we are teaching kids, but also how we are helping teachers provide this type of education, uh, develop specific skills, specific methods, while in the same time addressing the challenges related again to this type of education. And as a member of uh, the European Parliament, the Vice Chair of the Culture and Education Committee in the European Parliament, I uh, often address this issue. And actually, I was the initiator of a couple of very important amendments 
related to educational policies in which we refer to the need for the European Union to take a leading position when it comes to dealing with citizenship education, the need to coordinate better and even why not develop uh, a competence framework related to that. In the same time, we believe uh, a more extensive initiative in the field should be uh, promoted by the European Union with specific financial allocations for that. And of course, in the same time, we believe that we can even develop, let's say, resources, common resources that should be made available for teachers across Europe. Because if we look at statistics, uh, uh, only 50%, so one in two children in Europe are learning about European history. And when we refer precisely again to institutions, to policies and to all those details that are important at European level, we acknowledge the fact that EU citizens are not fully aware of what is happening at European level and why we are together in this European Union, how things are functioning and how they can influence things, hopefully in a positive way. So in the European Parliament, we had uh, approved at the beginning of the year a specific resolution coming up with very concrete recommendation in this regard on how we want this issue to be addressed. In the same time, as a member in the Conference for the Future of Europe, we are speaking in the, in the conclusions about the possibility of having European competencies in the field of citizenship education in order to increase the impact, increase the efficiency of our action in the field, and also uh, improve how we are working with relevant stakeholders like, like uh, Teachers EU and other platforms that are willing to, to work on this important file. So the European Parliament is a big promoter of this important topic and we really need to discuss how we can do that in a very effective way, involve everyone and of course when we refer to citizenship education, we refer not only to education in school, we also refer to lifelong learning mechanism because it's important to address this issue of learning about the EU across group ages and of course in different environments both for people that have the opportunity to get access to education, but also for those that come from disadvantaged areas. And we need, of course, to use digital tools and a lot of new methods that are there, but that we are not using uh, yet uh, fruitfully across Europe. Okay, thank you so much. I think the biggest takeaway of what you said there was that only one in two kids um, learns about the European Union at school. And you also brought up um, the Conference on the Future of Europe, which is something that we will also discuss a little bit uh, later on. But now let's go over to Stefan Zotti um, from the European Commission. Please take, take the floor for a few minutes, please. Thanks, Mariam, and thanks for the in invitation. Um, you introduced me as a team leader here in our strategy unit. I'm Intra Alia also responsible for the Chamonix program and therefore uh, I was very happy to hear from Fontaine, uh, who is actually a Chamonix chair, what's uh, going on uh, in, in, in her Chamonix uh, project. Because we very much believe uh, that uh, teachers play a crucial role. But let me uh, start maybe from a different angle. I mean, we, we all agree and, and we are fully in line with uh, what Mr. Negrescu uh, just said, and, and uh, the Commission listened very carefully also to the report uh, of uh, your colleague Luis Deves on citizenship education. We need active citizens, we need uh, to promote uh, civic competences, uh, but active citizenship, I think this is also what we uh, can agree about, is more than just being informed, it has to do with a particular attitude to the feeling of responsibility for my village, my, my region, my country, my union. Yeah. And, and this important attitude 
is something which can be addressed and needs to be addressed also in the field uh, of education. Therefore, it was very important for the European Commission to widen the focus of the Charmonet program uh, in the new uh, period, uh, which was traditionally a program for the higher education sector, and now to open it also for, as we call it, uh, other fields of education and training. So not only to schools, but uh, as Mr. Nagresco said, to the whole of vocational education, lifelong learning, adult education, etc. Uh, and here, a key element uh, of this new Chamonix uh, for other fields of education is actually teacher training. And we uh, are just about to finalize the second call uh, with very, very interesting and very promising uh, projects, uh, which are absolutely in line uh, with what uh, Professor uh, Fontaine uh, explained uh, earlier to, 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 to help and empower teachers to actively uh, and actually uh, deal in a different way uh, with European uh, matters uh, to touch upon issues as values. Uh, as I said, it's, it's not only about information, uh, it's about the training of particular attitudes and a particular understanding of the European Union. Um, and. Uh, completely in line with the European Parliament. I think many things are ongoing um, with the Chamonix for schools as the uh, last element uh, in a longer um, scale of different uh, activities. And we are very confident that this uh, can very well contribute uh, to a better teaching and learning about the European Union, about European values in schools, in lifelong learning, in adult education. Okay, thank you very much. And um, one question I definitely maybe perhaps put to you in a different way is what you talked about there about active citizenship. Um, and I don't know if you can train European citizens to be um, active, but let's uh, wait and see. Over now to Tatiana Barbaruskin, uh, member of the workers group at the European um, Economic and Social Committee. Please do go ahead and take the floor, please. Thank you, Mariam, and uh, also thank you for inviting to this debate. And, uh, you know, this uh, topic is very uh, close to my heart. And uh, uh, apart what you uh, from what you introduced uh, about myself, I'm Lithuanian, and uh, I'm also having educational background, so I understand fully teachers uh, and the teachers who are now facing the problem uh, of, of, of some multiple problems. And, uh, uh, it's a quite quite a coincidence that uh, uh, Viktor Vinigreskov, who is here uh, during the Romanian presidency, uh, uh, requested from our committee an opinion. Uh, do you hear me well? Yes, absolutely. Please go ahead. Sorry, do you hear me well? That's okay. Oh, yes, sorry, because I, I, I suddenly have seen all the faces, so <laughs> I requested the opinion on the education about the European Union. Victor, you rem remember this. And I was uh, the rapporteur, and already in that opinion, in 2019, we said that education about the European Union and uh, EU literacy should be regarded as key skills and competences with uh, common objectives in terms of minimum knowledge about the European Union. And learning should be uh, done transversely as integral part of uh, multiple subjects, uh, for instance, uh, such as history, geography, and economics, and starting at a very early age. So um, 
education about the EU should take place uh, in formal settings of uh, uh, at school, but of course uh, also be part of non-formal extracurricular activity and uh, also in more informal contexts such as uh, associations, youth movements, uh, various civil society organizations working now in uh, in different uh, projects, uh, uh, within different projects encouraging active citizen participation. Uh, schools should not be so closed and conservative. They should open their doors to young people, to those uh, uh, EU believers, and uh, teachers uh, shouldn't take the sole responsibility of, uh, of, of, of the young people they are educating. I think that they uh, have to trust also organized civil society. And also the media literacy is very important because the media uh, uh, is an uh, essential component of our contemporary societies. And uh, media education is becoming a major educational issue. How to uh, recognize mis and disinformation about the European Union, for instance. And uh, uh, this is something which brings threat. We see how uh, the war in Ukraine also increased this uh, uh, disinformation, uh, let's say, flood, and uh, uh, the European project itself is uh, under threat also because of fake news spread about uh, the European Union or even sometimes uh, various uh, member states trying to split the member states and uh, uh, to kind of ruin the unity they have. So all this weakening, of course, the foundation of the European Union. So I'm a strong believer that uh, we have to strengthen the, uh, the education about the European Union. And again, thanks again uh, for uh, Victor then uh, being uh, in the government, uh, the Romanian government, to ask for this opinion, because I think it's still uh, a reference for many uh, educators and then they still take some kind of inspiration from it. Thank you. Thank you. I think um, the most important word for me then, what you said was responsibility and who is really responsible for promoting um, and imbuing EU values um, in people and citizens. Okay, well, over now to Pascal Mumbar-Galliard, CEO at Learn to Change, Change to Learn. Please do take the floor. Thank you very much, uh, Mariam. Uh, first of all, I would like to say, so I'm French, but most of my work is international. And uh, my perspective today is informed by several experiences. I've been for 12 years a pedagogical advisor for the Council of Europe. I'm a co-author of the reference framework for competencies for democratic culture um, and co-founder of Learn to Change, which is a continuation, a community of um, academics and teachers who are interested in promoting uh, competencies for democracy. Um, and I'm listening to you with a lot of interest. Uh, there are a few points that I think maybe I can contribute to. Um, I'm, I heard uh, from Victor, for example, that education is more than information. And I think that is an extremely important point. Um, it is uh, in order to be able with a to talk about values with uh, youth and students, uh, the teachers actually need to be able to reflect on their own. So this aspect of preparedness of teachers to uh, tackle these issues is something that is uh, oftentimes 
um, not considered at the level of the importance that it should have. So I, I'm, I'm talking about teacher education that is, um, should be at the center of this project of developing uh, European values and also addressing this Euroscepticism that you are pointing out. Uh, to develop more trust in our European institutions, it is important that even the teachers be able to perceive themselves as part of the European project. And a project such as Teachers for Europe allows and invites teachers to come into contact with teachers from other countries. And this is so important for themselves to develop an, a European identity and to understand what are the challenges um, in other countries and to have a comparative perspective on these issues. Also, I heard uh, about learning about um, about Europe and European history. Of course, that's important. Uh, but what we see is that when teachers start talking about values with students, oftentimes their, their first um, realization is that students don't know what values are. So that's a first point to start with. And it was one of the findings that surprised us from our, um, from our project. I'm used to, I, I talked about the RFCDC, I'm used to working on the issue of competence, um, attitude, skills, and knowledge uh, for democracy, and teachers are more used to that language. When we're talking about European values, we're really uh, tackling the issue also of identities. And in order to be able to develop a pedagogy that is fit for that kind of aim, uh, we have to go much beyond learning about. It is about learning for and through uh, democratic um, behaviors. The actions that we do every day in school is um, part of the curriculum. Whether we want it or not, if schools are authoritarian um, uh, environments, the learning ecology that is actually proposed here is not one that is conducive to developing uh, democratic values. So this is something um, that teachers need to have the time to have conversations about. They need time in their teacher education. And this needs to be done really, we need to accept the slowness and the time it takes to develop these with teachers. So what we often see is that ministries are interested uh, in developing on, on these lines but there are not always the corresponding measures in terms of teacher education uh, to be able to do so. Another important finding in terms of uh, policy recommendations that we found in our project is that um, most of teacher education is uh, done through lectures. And in order to develop these types of identity formations and really changing and considering our values, and how we perceive Europe as one community that can collaborate together, um, we need to go uh, beyond this. We need to have experiential learning. And very few teacher education programs actually propose experiential learning. We're very much into lectures. And what teachers told us, and when they went to our trainings, which are deeply exper experiential, with a cycle of challenging teachers so that they can then, through their experience and challenge, go into reflection and perspective taking on what their role is as an educator is extremely um, central to the project. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Pascal. I'm literally listening to you. I was writing down so much. Um, you know, talking about 
um, all the kind of different things, you know, the ways of learning, um, but also the thing that you you picked up on there, you know, what exactly are the values that we need to teach people about? And I think that's going to be a really important point um, and is actually going to be one of the questions I will ask you. So we will come back to that um, a little bit later. But now to Jan Eckhorn, Senior Lecturer in Social Policy at the University of Edinburgh. Please do take the floor for a few minutes. Uh, thank you very much uh, for having me on this this exciting discussion um, together with colleagues at the University of Edinburgh, but also uh, the think tank Depart in Berlin um, that I work with. I, I focus on working how we can use good empirical research to enhance political engagement in particular of younger people. And the question of whether civic education method has been answered empirically very clearly, it, it, it really, really does. We see that civic education can have incredibly good positive outcomes, both for young people's electoral engagement, their non-electoral engagement with politics as well. So the sort of, you know, civic engagement that we often um, really, really hope to see as an outcome. And when I talk about that sort of civic education, it's the one in schools and the one outside schools, as one of the previous speakers has mentioned already. However, what is really crucial, and that chimes with some of the things the previous speaker mentioned, the way civic education is structured and delivered really, really matters. One of the most important things we see is for it to have positive civic payoffs is that it needs to be deliberative. And that means that it needs to be based on young people being enabled to genuinely discuss real issues. It's we earlier heard the word information. It's not enough to inform about issues. It's also not enough to inform about political processes, for example. It's really important that it, the debate can take place because most young people want to discuss issues, but the real things, like the things that get most of us interested when we think about politics, for example, and that includes controversial issues. So it's really important that we enable young people, who often are very self-critical actually, to not just see things as this is the fact you have to learn, but this is a space in which you can discuss it and maybe really enjoy discussing it. That's when we see positive things. And this needs to be linked to practice in schools as well. It's one good thing to learn about democracy, but the other things often schools aren't structured democratically. So what comes with it is the ability to practice this. And fundamentally, we don't need to be scared of this. There's often a bit of a worry about the undue influence from teachers on young people. But actually, what we often see, especially when teachers are enabled, they do a great job, but often teachers are really, really worried themselves. So quite a bit of our research has shown that a lot of teachers are really, really careful, or maybe sometimes even a bit too careful in providing civics education because they're worried of being accused um, to take a particular line of argument, for example. But it is so crucial that this happens in all schools. So enabling teachers in all schools and all settings to deliver civic education is crucial. Because if we don't, it's more likely that civic education is delivered at schools in higher status areas, in richer schools, uh, in wealthier contexts. And if that happens, what we see is actually an increase of inequality and in political participation by social class. So civic education is really, really crucial, and it can help us overcome some of those inequalities in political engagement, but only if it's delivered comprehensively across all contexts. 
Okay, thank you so much, Mr. Ekon. Um, I think, you know, talking about that potential blame game for teachers um, could be interesting. Um, but let's now open up the discussion then. Um, and just a quick reminder, of course, to everyone who is joining us online, um, you know, whatever you're hearing or, you know, all the panelist statements so far, there's been a lot of content, a lot of great ideas, or perhaps you weren't really on board with some of the things that they are saying. Perhaps you're even a concerned parent who doesn't want to have, you know, some of this civic education, um, as you perhaps heard from um, Mr. Ekon get involved send us your comments and your questions and let us know uh, which panelist um, you want to direct your questions to okay so with that then an icebreaker for all of you um i wanted to ask you know we are of course living i mean we all of you have discussed you know what could be done what should be done but we are living in a more polarized society politically divided society um so has demo uh, democracy or politics lost its role. Um, Stefan's asked, asked um, I'll start with you first, because you also talked about this idea of active citizenship. So has all of this gotten lost? Well, I'm not sure it got lost. Uh, I think, uh, and, and this is what we see uh, when discussing uh, with, with academia, when uh, we heard at the very beginning, a great project, uh, which is uh, funded by the Chamonix program, uh, so I think it's it's not a question if, if democracy or, or the, the, the interest of education in democracy uh, is lost. It's just uh, to, to to see how we can uh, be even more efficient, how we can be uh, better in order to avoid, uh, as Jan just uh, talked about, inequalities uh, in in democratic uh, participation. And this is uh, what we very much count on. Uh, the member states as well. I mean, uh, let's not forget that on the European uh, level, uh, education and the design of curricula and, and also in a certain way, the design of teacher education and training is first and primarily in, in member states' hands. And uh, I think we should not also limit our discussion on, on European citizenship uh, education as such, but on civic education uh, very much in general, which has... Uh, many uh, aspects and, and, and dimension as well. Um, I think, however, that on, especially on the European level, uh, especially after the terrorist attacks in Paris uh, 2015-16, uh, with council recommendations in, in 2018, there is a growing uh, interest and a growing feeling uh, among the member states that we also need very much to, to, to cooperate on this field uh, together. In 2018, there were, uh, I think, two council recommendations on, on key competences in, in lifelong learning, where the fostering, uh, where the development of citizenship competences uh, was explicitly mentioned, and another recommendation on promoting common values, inclusive education, and the European dimension of teaching, uh, where the member states uh, also committed to promote a European dimension uh, in teaching. Um, so I think uh, many things are, are ongoing. Uh, nevertheless, we have to state a very different level of development between uh, member states. And this is where we, uh, as European Commission, would also see our responsibility in, in a certain way to, 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 to facilitate the implementation uh, of these plans to support member states uh, through uh, exchange, uh, through uh, peer learning, 
but also uh, through particular funding mechanisms uh, as, for example, Chamonix for School or uh, Erasmus in general, uh, where there are many, many projects um, under Key Action 2, Key Action 3, uh, as the one referred to at the very beginning, uh, who actually are dealing with uh, civic education, European civic education, uh, so I'm, I wouldn't be too pessimistic uh, on this uh, without ignoring that it's still uh, quite a way to go until we uh, can be sure that civic education really get, got a reality in uh, European schools, universities, uh, lifelong learning institutions. Okay, well then over then um, to MEP Negrescu then. You know, they're from the commissions and they want to facilitate this. But... Um, Mr. Ingrescu, do your constituents, are you aware if they actually want to have this um, civic education? I'm aware of the fact that uh, they want to learn more about the European Union. They want to learn more about the opportunities. They want to find out how they can influence things, how they can participate at European level, to find out what the European Union is deciding for them and to which extent as well. Because also in the same time, to be very frank, People hear about the European Union in the news and they hear about that more and more, especially in, in current times with the pandemic, but also with the war in Ukraine. So they understand that there is a, 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 a new dimension that goes over, you know, the local interest, the national interest, which is the European perspective and also the global perspective. So they want to be uh, aware of all of that, but also to a certain extent, like I said, have a certain, certain ownership of what is happening in that new dimension, which is European dimension. And citizenship education is not like, you know, extremists are presenting it. It's not about, you know, doing the propaganda of the European Union. No, not at all. It's about increasing the level of information about the European Union and giving citizens the power to act at European level, because this is unfortunately not happening right now. And this is why they perceive the European Union as being too bureaucratic, because they don't know how they can participate. Everything seems too far away, despite the fact that there are mechanisms for them to participate by simply clicking on a couple of uh, websites. They can participate to the different, uh, let's say, consultations done on your legislation. And also sometimes they hear in the news that, you know, Brussels is deciding things for them and they don't know that at the level of the institution, it is the council, which are actually the member states that can always block everything. So no one is deciding for member states without consulting member states. So this is why it is important to do that. Of course, I think what is uh, also uh, interesting to, to, to underline, and this has been mentioned by the other speakers as well, this is not about you not know, giving lectures about the European Union. It's about involving, you know, citizens in the process. Discuss with them different issues, but also uh, um, support them in what they find, what they want to find out about the European Union. Because some might be more interested in finding out what the EU is doing on digital policies. Others might be interested in learning what the EU is doing on agricultural policies. Other people might be interested in the history. But there are so many dimensions. That, that is very important, again, to be aware of all of that. Sure. Just to follow up, though, um, there's lots of things that you point out, you know, what, what this new sort of curricula could do for education. But are you saying that education has so far failed European citizens to keep them informed? 
I can actually say that, that we, we fail to have a European dimension in education. And this is also related to the fact that in the EU treaties, the EU doesn't have competencies in the field of education. And interestingly enough, during the pandemic, you know, everyone was waiting for the European Union, for instance, to fix the gaps or come up with methods that can support teachers to deal with uh, digital education. So, yeah, there are high expectations in the European Union, but we did, didn't have this European dimension. This is why I mentioned earlier in the Conference for the Future of Europe, this has been widely underlined by citizens that they need to see, to see the European Union doing more on those aspects. And we see the European dimension on that. And we have a couple of things that we are doing. So the European universities is an interesting initiative. We have these teachers academies for teacher for teachers at European level where we bring competencies and know-how together. And we have Jean Monnet, uh, you know, research institutes and different platforms that are doing very interesting things. But we need to give them more visibility, but also use the content that they produced because this has been underlined. They did so much, so many things, but we are not using that. So every year we are repeating the same things all over, but we need something more consistent. And for that, we need an European approach to, on education. Okay, Tatiana Babruskina, your thoughts then? Should the EU have competence in education? Yes, but uh, actually I would uh, try to maybe think about, uh, about the next step. And the next step would be how uh, to link education to real life. And I want to particularly welcome the European Commission's initiative on the use test. Because use test, uh, uh, it's a new initiative. It's now under consultation process. And uh, in the European Economic and Social Committee, we have a study group. I'm not rapporteur, but I'm a study group member. And the use test uh, is uh, about uh, setting a framework for a meaningful involvement of young people into policy making level. This is really, really a very strong step forward. It's the young people are not only uh, approving what is, uh, is decided at European level or informed about what is done at European level. They are really uh, involved into decision-making level. So they are at the first, very, very first step. And I hope that the next step will be also meaningful involvement of young people into implementation level, because this is where we're really stuck with many initiatives, brilliant initiatives coming from the European Union. So I want really to, uh, education to become uh, more lively and uh, more linked to reality. Okay, so education linked to reality. Uh, Pascal Mpangala, uh, your company, Learn to Change, has learned to change is complex and creating lasting meaningful change is a challenge. Now, earlier you were speaking about um, you know, the types of learning that should take place. And you also spoke about values and the fact that we don't really define what these EU values are. Um, so just quickly, your thoughts on this initiative by Teachers for Europe. Um, and also a question, does it go beyond the boundaries of informed learning or does it really help craft a better relationship for the EU with its citizens? That's a very long question. <laughs> I'm going to take it a bit by bit. 
so you were, we don't uh, specify what the values are very often. We think that we uh, agree when we say democracy, but for different people it means different things. And I can t uh, give you a list of some of the values that uh, teachers gave us back when we asked them for you, what are these values? And they said democracy, respect, inclusion, equality, and diversity, for example. And in our political debate, already these words uh, are controversial. So when you're thinking about an education that considers values, it is already a controversial uh, education uh, undertaking. So when we're looking at values, it is a question of negotiation. Negotiation of meaning, negotiation of where we want to go as a society. And so I was listening to one of your panelists. Um, yes, it is important to, for example, um, create learning conditions where uh, young people can, and I heard the word debate. Now this negotiation around these issues and these values, I think deserves rather a conversation. Um, because uh, what I differentiate, for example, is the learning how to be in conversation with the other is different than debate in that we accept more to be in a both-and state of mind. We can accept nuance. We have a more systemic view looking at the relationships between the parts instead of opposing different parts and opinions. It is a process-oriented uh, rather than outcome-oriented. In a debate, we uh, argue to be right. In a conversation, uh, a led conversation, a learning conversation, we can actually focus more on how is it that we are listening to each other and how we are presenting to the issues at hand. So um, uh, I um, studied a PhD, I did a, just finished my PhD last year and looking at what types of conversation in education were conducive to that. And it is very specific types of pedagogies that can lead to that. Also, in order to be an active citizen, I need to be motivated to engage. This question of engagement is extremely important. And this is where the link with non-formal education and opening formal education to non-formal institutions and to non-formal ways of learning is, is very important. Um, so when we're thinking, for example, we had uh, some teachers tell us we need a curricular inclusion of the topic. And um, uh, journalists, for example, were wondering why there is not at least one hour per year on teaching about the European institutions. Already this would be very helpful. And uh, beyond curriculum inclusion, we need to have different types of um, interdisciplinary approaches and team teaching in order to really address this. And this is where we're um, uh, challenged because uh, there is actually very little salaried time that can be spent in teachers working together in order to create these learning ecologies for their students. Uh, it's a very complex issue, um, and what I would like to really insist on is that it um, pushes us to see this uh, question of education, of European identity, in a very systemic way. There's a, so many, um, different aspects that we need to develop together in order to really reach the aim of helping our youth to make sense 
of what it is to be in this world, what it is to be a global citizen, and what it is to be a European citizen. Well, I think, for, um, you know, if, if my young young children sort of listening to that, um, that would that sounds like a, a beautiful um, um, education oh, she's and, not hearing and me. value. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, but, um, what what the European Commission me? says. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you, Stefan Zotti. Um, if I ask you what your top three EU values are, what are they to you? Democracy, freedom, rule of law, uh, human rights, uh, tolerance. I, I think uh, there is a, a broad variety uh, and, and of values we can easily agree with. Uh, and, and which are not really yeah, contested, uh, nevertheless. To then define what values are. Pardon, I, I How could is not really. Lost in communication? I have a bit problems understanding you, but may, maybe Jan wants to come in on this. <laughs> sure, Jan. Let me ask you then, um, Jan, if you can hear me. Um, so. We're talking about obviously EU values um, and looking at the proposal from Teachers for Europe, they talk about values, but they don't actually define them. So what would be your sort of takeaway um, in terms of what should be um, included um, as EU values? So I think what's important, there are uh, a bit like uh, Stefan just started, there are some things that at, at kind of high level, a lot of people agree on. There are certain, or most people would agree on as well, conceptions of democracy, for example. The problem is that, as others have mentioned as well, this is interpreted in different ways, in different contexts. For some people, those things, values actually relate very much to what comes out of a process, whereas for others, it is this more founding principle. And really importantly, when we think about education that addresses values, what we need to avoid is a situation where in the end there's basically a test of have you now achieved all those values perfectly in the way that maybe, you know, uh, everyone uh, thinks they should be understood at who's around a table, kind of virtual table like this. And um, because what we do often see, especially when we compare different countries, so I've worked on a big project where we compared European values across different countries, and what we see is that a lot of people agree to a lot of the things that in the treaties is the famous article two values and so on. There's a lot of agreement around this. But what's surprising is that we then also find for some people who agree with those that they also agree and share value principles that at face value contradict those who on the one hand embrace open society values, but also look at things that are homogenizing at the same time. So we need to be careful because if we then basically say your value profile is contradictory, um, so therefore we reject it and don't engage, um, that can be a problem when we go into this. So I agree with, with um, Pascal there as well on the point that it's, it's about, it's not debate, it's about the ability to talk to each other, even if you don't fully agree, trying to find also common points. But we do need to allow it to also enter into discussions about things where people are further apart. I think that's really, really crucial if we don't want to fall into a trap of potentially rejecting, especially some young people from, from the debate. So let me quickly ask you um, um, a quick follow-up question. Um, would teachers, I mean, and, and, and this is, I mean, I, I even know the answer as soon as I even ask it, but um, would teachers then need to be sort of pro-European 
if they're going to be teaching all of these values, because in order to teach these values, it has to be believable. But you can't obviously I, in, ensure that every single teacher is pro-European. So then how then do you create this sort of foundation that teachers that can take it forward? I, I think that's a really important point. There's a difference between pro-European as in pro-EU and sharing some of those fundamental values like democracy, tolerance, and some of those points. It would be really counterproductive to have, for example, civic education at which the outcome is students need to now say they, they love the European Union. If that was the premise, you would actually create a strong counter-reaction from a lot of young people. What you want to have is a space in which information can be shared, factual information can be shared, but also discussions can be held about positives, negatives, and the deeper question of those fundamental values. So, no, you don't necessarily need to have a teacher who, um, you know, has a, a glorious view of certain institutions or processes, but they should share um, certain types of values that are probably also values that are enshrined in, in, the, in, in the constitutions of their countries. But in terms of teaching, it's really important that for, for it to be authentic and real, that also the worries and the concerns that young people have can be included um, in, in those discussions. Okay, um, Stefan Zotti, we'll quickly come back to you because I know that you were having a bit of an issue with sound, so I hope you can hear me. Um, and if you'd like to, you know, just pick up on what you heard Jan talking about there, about values and what we can do in teachers. Thanks, Maria. Uh, on the one hand side, I, I think really do underline what Jan just said. I mean, we, we're talking, and this is, I think, also one of the key values about a liberal society in Europe. So uh, teaching uh, and about values cannot be a, a sort of we commit in each and every issue to the same uh, understanding. Yeah, uh, we want to keep this openness uh, as a tolerant society, as a liberal society, and, and I think that that's important. On the other hand side, I just wanted to stress uh, from from my from our understanding also a bit the the, the limits of teaching about values. Uh, I think uh, when at the beginning I talked about uh, civic competences as not something only uh, about being informed, but about an attitude, uh, we also very much need to uh, take into account many other ways of learning uh, in your youth organization, in civil society, in settings as the European Solidarity Corps, where you actually experience values as solidarity uh, and many other things uh, in your daily life. And I, I think this is also uh, very important and needs to be uh, also included under a bit of a broader understanding of learning and teaching, actually. Uh, so we, uh, I think it, it would be overloading a bit the responsibility of teachers to say in the one hour you have per week on, on civic education in a very ideal world, uh, you also need to make everybody uh, a good, uh, liberal, open, tolerant, democrat, etc., etc. Yeah, I think uh, here we should also be clear about the, 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 the limits. Okay, and Pascal, you wanted to uh, jump in. Uh, thank you for giving me the floor, and uh, it, it links very well um, with what Stefan just said. Actually, um, 
everyone has heard about a concept that is the hidden curriculum. So yes, it is important that schools open up to communities that youth have the opportunity to participate in NGOs and in actions outside of school, but they do spend a lot of time in school. And when school is not organized around uh, democratic processes, when uh, participation of students in decision-making in schools is not present, they're actually learning something about non-democracy or about how uh, this institution is not offering uh, possibilities for them to have the experience of their engagement and uh, um, living the fact that their engagement produces social results. So this is very important. And also uh, wanting to go back to the idea of the uh, controversies. Uh, I would like to, for example, recall re, uh, the incident of um, the tragedy, actually, of Samuel Paty, who is a teacher who actually tried to engage with a um, controversial issue, perhaps um, with his own ways. I don't, I'm not going to comment or, or judge. But there is an element of risk, and I repeat then, that is very important for teachers to learn how and also to consider, for example, that past traumas, um, um, discriminations, the way that um, students can themselves have interpretations of their reality and how they may uh, uh, see inequalities and, and have resentment about these, have to be part of teachers' awareness so that they can engage this type of, um, uh, of learning inside the school context. Uh, just to finish, I think one of the best ways actually of, of having democratic values enter the school, again, which is a place where students spend, spend a lot of time, is to have whole school approaches where the whole community is actually working together to understand what are the processes that need to be in place so that young people today become the active citizens of tomorrow. Can a community approach work, though? And that goes, I guess, to our MEP, uh, Mr. Negrescu. I think it's very important, again, to involve uh, the community in the process of in learning uh, about the European Union. And like I said earlier, it's not about, uh, let's say, a one-size-fits-all format. It's about how we are looking at the European Union and how we are giving citizens a role in this common framework. So what is important for me at the end is after this type of education for the individual to feel comfortable on what he can do, on what are his rights or, 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 or his ob obligation at European level, how he, can take, how he can take a leading role. And at the same time, you need interaction with the community. So involving the civil society, involving the parents, for instance, in, in, involving the local authorities, involving the private sector or the social partners. So it's very important to have an open format. And why not also for the education process to enable, let's say, pupils, uh, learners, to interact with those different partners to learn together how they can take advantage of, of, of this European Union. So it's not about being pro-EU. Like I said, it's not propaganda. It's about giving uh, uh, methods for citizens to become more powerful in, in, in this structure. And of course, one of the biggest mistakes is to, 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 to build a top-down approach uh, because uh, the promoters of citizenship education are actually 
structures across Europe, very involved on local levels that are promoting it at European level. So we still need to give them a very active role in how we are framing things at European level. So we need the Commission to take a leading position. The Parliament is pushing for that. But this leading position doesn't mean that those stakeholders should not be taken in consideration. So this is why it's important, again, to involve them in, in, in this process. So we need an open platform where all those partners get involved and when we that are participating to the development of the process and how we are doing that across Europe. So this is really important, again, for this to be successful, because otherwise uh, it would not lead to the positive result that we expect from citizen education. Yep, no, indeed. Um, Tatiana, um, you're hearing a lot that, you know, Pascal was there talking about the example of a teacher trying to sort of imbue this kind of learning. Um, we've heard from our MEP who talked about or reiterated and supported what Pascal was saying about this collective approach. Um, but something that I noticed on your social media, you, you said that teachers face a formidable challenge in the 21st century. So given all the ideas that we're hearing about right now, does this initiative overburden already overburden teachers? I mean, this isn't just about a curricular change. If, if we look at what teachers are going through right now, they're going through budget cuts, inadequate funding, longer hours, crises, for example, the pandemic, the ways in which they had to then reformulate the way in which they taught students. And they were essentially available 24 seven for their students um, and for their schools and their places of, of, of teaching. Um, teachers also have to deal with bad salaries. They have to deal with pension cuts. The list is quite endless. The environment, you know, we're asking here, and I don't, and I hope none of you mind me saying this, we're asking a lot of teachers. So are we, do they have the right tools in place to actually put these practices in place, Tatiana? Yes, as, as I said already at the beginning, to put solely responsibility on teachers is not fair because of all dimensions, reasons you, uh, you had. And, uh, also much more. But uh, uh, let's look uh, uh, how young children learn uh, things better or how, let's say, they perceive things. And they do that from the same as they are, young person to young person. And recently, I'm building now at what Jan has said, we need debates. Recently, we started use debates on different, various, uh, very sensitive issues, and including also EU uh, uh, integration issues. And it works. Young people are debating with young people. And of course, there are different views, and they listen to each other, and they're perceiving this information. They have arguments, they have to prepare. And this works. For example, I can give a very short example. Uh, the question was very provocative about a Lithuanian situation during this uh, invasion of Russia to Ukraine. And the question was, what uh, if uh, it was Lithuania attacked by Russia? Would other EU member states go to protect Lithuania? Would they send their soldiers and etc.? And then the auditorium was divided. And then the question, another one, would Lithuanians go to, let's say, defend Portuguese or Greek uh, people, etc., etc., and it was a very interesting debate. And I think that's what we have to encourage: the debate culture and the, how they can learn. And of course, there are plenty of online tools. I pointed that also in the opinion 
uh, of the ESC that this is something with, which we, we're still uh, uh, missing, especially when we speak about the languages, because in English language you usually can find in French, but not in the small languages like Lithuanian, and Latvian, Estonian, uh, or also other languages which have a not so big population. So we have to translate some tools. Okay, well, let's now go to those audience questions because I have been told we only have about 15 minutes left. So, so this um, this chat that we've been having, this debate um, has been brilliant so far. Um, okay, well, let's see what some of you are saying. Um, a question for Jan, and this is definitely something that um, I also wanted to touch upon. Could education have played a role in the outcome of Brexit? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really important one, um, but it's... Actually, if we look at kind of just general education, which is quite low, not just in the UK, it's lower there than many um, other countries in the EU, but um, it's overall quite low. But actually, there isn't a strong correlation between formal knowledge about EU processes and views about the European Union. Um, it's much more closely linked to actually your level of education in, in the UK context. So there's a big social inequality dimension, as I've talked about earlier. So education could have mattered, but really um, the, the more important thing around Brexit, I would argue, is the mistake of the engagements of the political campaigns. So the campaigns against Brexit in the UK, one campaign didn't engage with the issues that people wanted to talk about, i.e. not just the economy, but also cultural factors, and the other side um, mostly focusing on university towns rather than talking with the working class, for example. So I wouldn't so much say it's a failure of education because also people who voted against Brexit were not particularly well informed necessarily. Um, and this is something we should take overall. We shouldn't fall, I think, sometimes into the trap of thinking everyone who's against the EU, for example, is poorly informed. That isn't, this frankly, empirically not always the case. But what we do see is that people hold greater kind of forms of resentment, um, for example. So what we need to enable is a discussion about where those resentments come from rather than writing, writing people off, which I think quite often happens. Um, so it's, it's, it's engaging in a, in a way that allows people to talk about those issues, creating for, uh, for doing this. And young people, just as a final point, are much better at this than older people because they're actually often less partisan initially. They're more open to accept that there might be rules to the game of having a discussion, actually. And that's why school is a good place for this, because that's what you always are used to in the classroom. There are certain rules for engaging with each other. So it's a really good place to learn how to have these sorts of conversations. Brilliant. Well, I want to stay along the theme of Brexit and just ask, uh, throw another question out um, to the panelists. Perhaps, Stefan Zotti, um, you could take this one. Um, given that Brexit happened um, and given what Jan was saying there, could the role of the media be amplified um, when we're talking about, you know, imbuing a sense of, 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 of Europe into education? Where does where where does the media come into this because if we're talking about education if we're talking the role um, about the role of institutions in providing um or or the executives you know all the different various actors and players where does the media come into well i think we uh, spent some time discussing uh, today about uh, how to better educate teachers 
nurse uh, train teachers uh, we uh, might also spend a second uh, in thinking about how to better educate and train journalists actually uh, and uh, as Victor said b before yeah uh, it's not always really clear if you go th through the media where the, the real responsibilities are uh, what does it mean if a decision was taken in Brussels yeah uh, and uh, there are rather little uh, media, I have the feeling from time to time, uh, who would point to the very fact that there is not a single dis uh, decision uh, taken uh, without at least the member states. And uh, today, fortunately, in most of the, of the cases, also the European Parliament. Uh, so it's not the, the anonymous uh, bureaucrats uh, somewhere in, in, in Brussels taking decisions, but there is a co-responsibility of the member states, of governments, and so on, which, but interestingly enough, uh, is hardly ever mentioned. So I think uh, well-educated uh, media could very much also help to uh, ra rationalize uh, the discourse uh, and the public debate about the European Union, uh, about the different roles and, and to make uh, procedures, uh, responsibilities uh, clearer to uh, the public uh, and by doing so also help uh, to, to educate in, in a certain way the citizens. Okay, we'll take another question from Josephine Haney. Uh, Pascal, perhaps you could take this one. Um, Josephine says, how to engage... Oh, God, sorry, it just jumped up. Let me go find back. Um, oh, okay, all the questions keep refreshing, so hold with me one second. Um, okay, well, we've just asked another question. I can't find that question. And one from Paul Lim. He says, the approach should be human values rather than EU values, isn't it? And that's a question to all speakers. And he says that this is more fundamental. Um, Pascal, would you like to go first with that one? Uh, yes, we came uh, into um, having to make decisions about this in the beginning of the program because uh, many of our uh, members and community members were asking us why European values. We are all part of a, a planet, a world, and today we're facing uh, global issues. Um, so the term European values was um, somehow at times problematic. Now, uh, we dealt with this in two ways, actually. Um, we're focusing a lot on democratic values or values for democracy, which is a way of uh, globalizing the, the concept. And then the issue of uh, Europe, and maybe not European values, but some kind of European adhesion. Uh, of course, not blindly, um, but at least entering into a reflection around what does it mean to be European and together on this uh, continent, together with institu common institutions, allowed us to enter uh, the topic of European uh, values. But we do recognize that it is surprising uh, for educators to, uh, to hear this uh, term. Uh, and we had to explain many times, many times, why we were dealing this way with the topic. Okay, uh, MEP Negrescu, um, I'm come to you. I can't quite see um, the name of uh, the person who's asked this question, but they ask a question about social exclusion. Um, and how then do you include 
EU citizens that are feeling disenfranchised with the entire EU project? I think it's very important, again, for this type of uh, system to work, to have an inclusive approach and not stay in, let's say, the European bubble that exists not only in Brussels, but also in different member states. So we need, need to be transparent and open about it and accessible in the same time uh, and democratic also in our approach. So that means, of course, develop uh, methods in which or that enables us to be present with this type of education in, in, in smaller schools, in rural areas, also develop methods that can be applied for children with disabilities, for instance, and also in the same time uh, change how we are approaching things based on, on the level of information that people have on, on, on European Union. So this is why we need to have a, a flexible approach and be capable to offer the possibility for the teacher to adapt. And for that, we need to train teachers, but not just, you know, train them uh, uh, because we have to do it or simply because, you know, we have some targets in a European project. We have to train 1,000 teacher, teachers. We invite them to some classes and we say, yeah, we had 1,000 teachers. They signed that they participated and, and, and that's it. We really need to create communities, and this is what, for instance, the Shadman Network is managing to do, communities of teachers willing to engage on these topics, exchange between themselves, develop and adapt and always modernize their approach and, and, and keep the, the, the classes interesting and alive and also to, to be, like I said earlier, adapted to, 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 to all kinds of participants, like I said, from all age groups. So this is not easy. This is why the concept of values is important. For me, when we speak about values, is it's about how it's the value of uh, educating or teaching about uh, the European Union. It's not about you know a political approach towards the European Union. It's about the need to understand that we need to engage people on this matter that is of great importance for them and to give them enough, let's say, uh, capacities and capabilities for them and aptitudes and competencies for them to, to, to be active also at European level because uh, two thirds of national legislations get influenced by what is being decided in Brussels. So this is why it's important again for them to be aware of what is happening there and have the power to act. Okay, well, if they're influenced by Brussels and um, Stefan Zotti, does the Conference on the Future of Europe perhaps act as a kind of indicator for the European Union to really accept its role in shaping values, but also their need to change their approach, to be more transparent, to communicate better with their citizens, um, to talk to younger generations on their level. Um, and I'll, be before you answer, I'll just give you an example of a meme I saw. Um, it's a, it, it is quite funny, so I hope you don't mind it. Um, it was basically two birds, one represented the EU, one represents the citizen. The EU bird is desperately flapping its wings at the citizen and it keeps going and it keeps going. The citizen sort of, you know, standing back and then eventually the citizen flies off. Um, and I thought that sometimes in a very sort of simple way does um, say something quite serious in that sometimes citizens don't feel that they have this closeness to the EU. Well, yes, I... I I would agree, uh, actually, uh, and I think this is an, an experience uh, we as Commission share with uh, the Parliament, uh, the uh, Committee of the Region, the, the uh, Social and Economic uh, Committee and others. I, I think we, we are 
doing very much in terms of communication. We are offering information, uh, but uh, obviously we need to start uh, communicating differently, uh, maybe in, in a different language. Uh, and this also goes uh, with regard to, to many of the teaching materials and, and information we provide, for example, for schools. I usually tell teachers, uh, but also colleagues uh, here within the European Commission, um, that we actually need to, to talk different about Europe. You know, I mean, so many information about Europe immediately starts with institutions and how co-decision works and, and, and so on, uh, which is not the way one of us would ever talk about his hometown or uh, the country. Yeah? If I'm up for a party and asked, uh, I'm from Vienna, tell me about Vienna. It's normally not the way to say, well, we have uh, the committee here and the mayor there, and that's the competence. And the... No, you talk about history, culture, and many other things. And I think this is the way we need to start talking uh, about Europe uh, as well. And this might make it easier to, to understand and to digest, I hope. Okay, well, listen, um, thank you all. Um, I, what I will do is let you all just quickly wrap up your final thoughts, because we literally have about two minutes left. So, um, MEP Nagrescu, if, if you could go first, please. I, I, I think uh, we, we, we live very interesting moments right now, and the war in Ukraine is pushing us to, to, to advance on many issues, among which citizenship education. And what is uh, and make sure citizens are aware of the important role of the European Union. Ukraine is not in the European Union; they are not protected. We are in the European Union, and unfortunately, not enough of us really cherish this structure that we have together. So when we speak about the European Union, we speak about what brought us together, and what can can move us forward together in a very constructive way. So we need to give citizens ownership. And citizen education is an excellent method to do so. Okay, thank you so much. Stefan Zofsig, over to you quickly. As I just said, uh, I think we, we all agree that active citizenship is important to make this Europe even more a project of its citizens, even more democratic, uh, etc. This has impact on how we talk, but also how we teach about Europe. Uh, we are on quite a good way, but this needs uh, common efforts and more ambition. Okay, Tatiana, next. I'm deeply convinced as a representative of civil society that we need EU level uh, channel, strong media channel. We need uh, something uh, much stronger than uh, Euronews. Uh, we need that uh, kind of uh, TV or also maybe linked uh, newspapers. We are missing that and we are losing a lot. So I plea. Uh, let's think about, let's invest into this uh, kind of uh, TV channel and uh, uh, different media or uh, EU level. Right, well, um, the criticism on Euronews, um, I'm not sure if, you, if you're aware of my link to Euronews, um, so I won't comment further, but perhaps Euronews could think about having a um, children's European channel. <laughs> um, okay, so next we'll go to Pascal. And Pascal, honestly, your, your interventions and what you've been saying have been brilliant, so please do take the floor. Uh, thank you. I, I choose to emphasize uh, community. 
uh, the language we employ uh, to talk about Europe is important and we need inclusive conversations in close communities to be able to uh, adopt uh, certain critical values together, uh, including um, Europeans of all backgrounds, uh, including uh, those who are here because of the colonization uh, past of Europe, for example. And we spoke about resentments. I think we have to engage in conversations that address all sorts of things, including uh, resentments. Um, community. Let's be in community and in conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think those uncomfortable conversations are something that are uh, hugely important. Unfortunately, you know, we didn't get to talk about um, decolonization or colonization. Um, and then just lastly, Jan, can I take the floor? Um, just briefly, I think one thing that's incredibly important in all of this is that we um, enable conversations in civic education with young people that allow young people to be diverse and heterogeneous in the points that they want to make. Um, young, we often talk about young people as if they're one group, but they're as diverse in their views, attitudes, and in how they engage with values as the rest of the population. And I think it's really important for this to be effective that we um, enable young people to talk about all of these um, different perceptions and perspectives that they have when we design approaches for civic education for them. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, well, we will leave it there. But MP Victor Negrescu, Stefan Zotti, Tatiana Babroskin, Pascal Montpagaliad, and Jean Ekhorn, uh, thank you all so much for being part of a very lively, uh, thoughtful um, discussion. And of course, to everyone who has been watching online, I really hope that what you have seen has given you a flavour of the debate around democracy and the role of education. Um, I'm Mariam Zadi, and you've been watching a Euractive debate supported by Teachers for Europe. Take care and bye-bye.